All right. Good morning, everybody. If you weren't awake, you are now, I'm guessing. What do you do with the fear that surrounds you? What do you do with the fear that surrounds you? If you are anything like me, you want nothing to do with bats. Can I get an amen from the congregation this morning? I don't nothing to do uh, with bats. Just watching that, I don't know what I would do. One of my biggest fears, maybe like you, but as it was for Bruce Wayne as well. You might know him as Batman, right? His takes on the persona and the identity. He embraces his fear. He's able to stand right in the middle. Of it. If you haven't seen the uh, Batman Begins and that whole trilogy, the whole idea starts with a younger Bruce, many, many years before that scene as a little boy, falls down into that same pit, into that same cave, and encounters the exact same fear and trepidation of hundreds and thousands of bats, like his biggest fear coming at him, and it ends up defining his life. Shortly after that, he tragically loses his parents and then a culmination of the pain and disappointments and difficulties of his life. The entire superhero trilogy, get this, the entire trilogy is based on how a little boy deals with his fear. With fear or with faith. How will he respond to that? And later in the film that this scene is from, you can, you can tell something has shifted. He goes back to the source of his deepest fear, and he confronts it. In fact, he invites it. He shines the light, almost to say, come and get me, fear. And it comes at him, and something shifts because he's able to stand right in the face of his biggest fear, cool, calm, and collected. There is a deeper peace that he's able to have right in the middle of his fear. And I think if we're honest, every single one of us longs for that. Every single one of us wants that. And that's where we're going today. We were walking home the other night. We were on a family walk, the four of us, and our two kids, our youngest daughter, Evie, uh, is four. And so she still gets a little, uh, a little scared uh, of the dark, especially when it just starts to get dark and there's some weird noises in the neighborhood and things like that. And we're walking home and it's just starting to get dark. And there was, she probably heard some weird noise and she had kind of uh, was lagging behind me a little bit and looking at something. And all of a sudden, I just feared the, feel these two arms just grab a hold of my left leg right here. And I look down and she's like shaking. Daddy, I'm so scared. And I go, oh, honey, what are you scared about? And she, um, like, I know if you have to think about it, like, okay, you're not really scared. Okay, like processing, what am I going to say? And she just goes, oh, I don't, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just scared of lots of things. Okay, honey. Well, you know, as a, as a good and loving father that cares for her, I say, it's okay, honey. Like, you don't need to be afraid. I'm right here with you. And in that moment, I know that in her little trepidatious four-year-old heart, like, she trusts me. She knows that I'm her dad and I'm not going to go anywhere and I love her and I'm going to protect her, that she's safe. The problem is we lose that childlike faith and that innocence somewhere along the way. She hasn't fully seen the reality of the world that we live in that is drenched in fear. She doesn't know yet that she needs to be afraid of all these things because nobody's ever told her. As adults, as we grow up, as we mature, our hearts all of a sudden don't become as trusting in our Father. She hasn't realized yet that there are things in this world that are out of her control. And that's where I want to start today, is the root of fear is the realization that we are not in control of everything. I know, it sounds simple, but if you're a control freak like me and you like to have things in a certain order and you're a perfectionist, that is a harsh realization to come to. The root of all of our fear is the realization that we are not in control of everything, and that realization can either drive us further away from God or closer to the heart of God. And that's why today is so important. That's why we're talking about this today. The reality is that we live in a world, particularly a nation, that is drenched in fear more than ever. That's why we're talking about this day. At the forefront of that is the coronavirus. Unless you've been living under a rock, you're well aware of that. And our world would like you to just basically live in fear for the rest of your life and go crawl in a cave and just live there with Batman for the rest of your life, okay? We live in a world that is drenched in fear, and so that's why we got together as pastors in the middle of this week, and we decided we got to call an audible 
I know what the preaching schedule says, but we're not going to preach about that. And so we all decided together, we're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about worry. We're going to talk about anxiety and stress. It's the world that we are living in. And so if you have read uh, my weekly letter this week, if you haven't, and if you don't get that, I would encourage you to sign up for that every week. I send out a letter that kind of reflects back on the last week and looks ahead to the next week, and you can sign up for that online. But if you read my weekly letter, you heard our pretty straightforward response as a church to the fear that is surrounding uh, this virus. And so we want you to know uh, just very directly, right up front here, we are going to continue to take every precaution to make sure that this church remains as safe as a public place can be. Our outstanding facility staff is going to continue to clean and sanitize the church building thoroughly every single week. And being that Hope is one of the larger public gatherings in the Midwest every single week. There'll be 13,000 people that gather at a Hope campus around the Midwest and our local sites uh, this weekend. When that is the case, uh, you are very regularly connected to the CDC. And so we have a direct line to them and are in communication with them. And we will keep you updated on, updated on those changes. We're not a business, we're a family. We're a church family, and that's what you do in a family is that you keep everybody in the loop. And so if anything changes, and if they give us some reason that we need to change something or update something, we will let you know. But I also want to make it very clear, number two, it's important to remember, taking proper precaution, which you should do all the time, by the way, those are good things to do health-wise, taking proper precaution does not have to automatically mean that we fear and judge other people. Taking proper precaution doesn't automatically mean that we have to point the finger of blame at somebody and find somebody to blame. It does not mean that we automatically start targeting people, groups, and judging other people. At any point, if there was a time to be the church, it should be now. And so we are going to continue to be the church right in the middle of the face of fear. Amen? Because that's what we're called to do, is to be the church. And so it's not only everything to do with the virus, but also the chaos that's surrounding us, the, the tragic tornadoes that tore through Nashville, as well as the fact that we live right now in the middle of this primary season in the political world where it's kind of becoming clear, okay, it kind of might be this person versus this person in November. And regardless of where you're at on either side of the aisle or anywhere in between, which we have all people here uh, at Hope, we've got the left wing and the right wing, we got the whole bird here at Hope, everybody's freaking out. Because what if my person doesn't win? And what if my person doesn't win? And what, what are the next four years going to be like? And there is a culture of fear like none other that, you are, that we are living in right now in our country. And it's not just the, the, the global things or the national things. I'm sure every single one of us, when you came walking in those doors this morning, you have a laundry list of things that you could be afraid of. What's going to happen with my job? What's going to happen if I lose my job? It's going to happen with my, my fear of uh, making ends meet with your finances or relationships. or the, Some of us are living our entire life based on the fear of the opinions of others. What are other people going to think? The, the fear of failure, the fear of loss, of losing, losing somebody close to you, the fear of the future. Life certainly comes with fear. There's no escaping it. And we're going to talk about that today. And we're going to spend some time talking about how we battle fear. But, be, but before we do that, I just want to pause and give a caution and say, I think that sometimes fear in and of itself gets a bad rap. Fear actually can be really helpful when you think about it. Because of fear, we, we run away from danger, right? Because of fear, we run out of burning buildings. That's a good thing. It's an impulse that God has given us. Because of fear, we avoid bad habits. We want to get adequate sleep and, and, and eat healthy and exercise on a regular basis because we want to live long and healthy lives. Fear is a good thing. For fear of the law, we drive slower, or at least most of the time we try to drive slower. Fear of getting a speeding ticket of $60, which your pastor knows nothing about, but that's another story. So, in fact, Scripture says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And certainly when the Bible says the fear of the Lord, we're not talking about like I'm in fear of God, like I'm in fear. Some of you live with that version of God that I'm afraid he's going to punish me. That's not the type of fear that the Bible is talking about. It's talking about a holy reverence and a respect. So let's not just throw fear out the window and say it's an entirely bad thing. Maybe fear isn't inherently bad. It's what you do with fear that determines the course of your life. Living by faith 
does not mean that we throw out our brains. God has given us brains, okay? God has given us a mind. God has given us a science. I do not understand why we pit faith and science against each other. God created science. God created doctors. God created scientists and chemists and biologists and people that can learn and teach us these things. Faith and science complement each other. God has given us minds to use and wisdom so that when we recognize an unhealthy fear, then we'll take action. Ultimately, the question is, what are we going to do with our fear? And here's kind of how I delineate them. Healthy fear exists in a heart that ultimately trusts God. Healthy fear lives in a heart that ultimately trusts God. If you play out that fear that you're feeling, what is the fruit of that? Is it stress? Is it, is, is it anxiety? Is it constant worry? That is not from your father. If you play it out and it's leading you away from danger or into healthy, good, holy, righteous things, that's a healthy fear. But the problem is when we try to control the world around us without God, we set ourselves up and fear can lead to anxiety and stress and it defines our life. It's the fruit of that fear. And so there's a reason that scripture offers this command, not a suggestion, but a command do not be afraid. More than any other command we're given, right under like worship God alone, right, all throughout the Psalms, probably the next most frequent command in all of Scripture, repeated hundreds of times, be not afraid. Do not be afraid. And there's no asterisk on all those verses that says, unless you live in the United States of America in 2020. That's the word of God and his truth, and you could take it to the bank. Be not afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, I want to offer a word of caution before we go further, because this can be a very difficult and sensitive topic for a lot of people. Maybe, maybe you, maybe somebody that you know. For some of you, fear and anxiety are very real. Even depression, which these things can lead to. And this has been very real for you, and you have been battling this for some time. What does that mean that you've been battling with it for some time? It means that you're a human being. Can I just say that? Can we just like, it means that you're a human being and you're not a failure. If you battle constant anxiety and fear, you are not less of a Christian. Christians battle anxiety all the time. We're not immune to that. When Jesus himself was in the garden, in his fully human state, who has walked in our shoes and felt everything that we have felt, felt a level of anxiety about what his future was leading to. That it said he sweat drops of blood. Never doubt that Jesus understands whatever you're going through today. You are not less of a follower of Jesus or less of a Christian because you battle anxiety. And the last thing that we want to do today is give off the impression that fear or anxiety can just be wiped away in one day or read this book or listen to Pastor John's sermon and it'll all go away. Okay, that is not the world that we live in. And if this is a difficult topic for you today, know that a part of God's healing for you might include professional help, might include therapy, might include seeing a counselor, might include a physician, might include some medication, certainly community for all of us, because none of us were meant to go through this life alone. And if that's the case, know that you are not alone and you are, that those are no less spiritual ways that God wants to heal us. And at the same time, not but, but and, okay, we want you to know that the answer to fear and anxiety is not to toughen up, to suck it up and put on a happy face. The answer to fear and anxiety and worry that maybe you feel in a chronic sense that you've struggled with that for a long time is not to just put on a happy face and sweep it under the rug. It's to get real, it's to get honest, and it's to surround ourselves with those who care. If you should be able to be real any place, it should be here. Amen? I had a young couple come up to me that's taken one of our classes here um, a few weeks ago, and she was, she was shaking. She was so nervous to tell me this. She says, I've never told a pastor this, but I've never said this in church before. But she has been struggling with chronic anxiety for the last five 
years. And she said, I've always been afraid to say it in church or at least to a pastor for fear that I wouldn't be welcomed there anymore because I don't have enough faith. That is a tragedy. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And we rejected that fear together and we prayed together and we got her connected with some ways that she can get some help and most importantly, that you are loved and you are welcomed here at Hope. Amen? So I want you to know that if you're battling that today. And at the same time, we believe that scripture is very clear that God's desire for every single one of us is that we do not live in a constant state of fear and anxiety. There is rescue, there is healing, and there is ultimate hope. And it is only in the name and available in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why we're here today. Amen? Okay, just wanted to make sure you're with me. And it's both of those things. It's both of those things. We can address it head on. We can confront the fears that face us in our nation. And we can put our faith in Jesus Christ so that we are not shaken. And so when nothing else will do, when we don't know where to turn, should I read this blog online? Should I read this article on Facebook? Should I watch this video that pops up on my social media? Should I listen to this news network or this news network? When nothing else will do and we don't know where to turn, we turn to God's word. We turn to Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to go today. Matthew chapter 6. If you're new to the Bible, it's going to be kind of in the back third of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. And if you're new to the Bible today, welcome aboard. It's a great day to start. If you've never opened it up before, Matthew 6 is going to be the big number 6. And then we're going to start at verse 25. So the little numbers are the verses. We're continuing a series called Right Side Up. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I look at the world, it seems like it's upside down. This is not the way that the world should be. And Jesus wants to turn the world right side up. And he gets very practical today in verse 25. Sometimes I think we can get really disconnected from Scripture and just be like, oh, you know, this passage that we're going to read from Matthew 6, that's a cute little reminder from Jesus that I could put on a magnet and stick on my fridge and look at once in a while. Or sometimes I like to picture that Jesus himself walks in those back doors and Man, it would go so much better if he was preaching instead of me. And then he, he walks up here, and then he just walks down next to you today and sits down in the chair next to you with all of your fear and all of your anxiety. He just puts his arm around you and looks at you with those kind, compassionate eyes. And then he says this, not to the multitudes, to you this morning. Do not worry about your life. Well, you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, some of you are reading that and going, okay, John, and your initial reaction is, what does this have to do with me? Like, what is this, is, you know, cute encouragement and everything, Jesus, but the birds have no idea how hard my life is, Okay. What a terrible comparison. What do birds do? They just feed each other worms and sing all day, right? They don't know how hard my life is here in Des Moines, Iowa in 2020. Oh, we've, we've missed the point. This has nothing to do with the birds. It has everything to do with verse 26. Aren't you much more valuable than they? The message here in Matthew 6 is not try harder to not worry. If you leave here today and think that John, Pastor John's message in the face of fear, try harder to not worry as much, that's not helpful at all. That is not the message. That is not what Jesus is saying. The message here is that Jesus is reminding us who our Father is. And if the birds aren't freaking out, dare I remind you that you are his sons and daughters? As a father of two kids myself, I mean, I leap out of my seat to get them a sippy cup of apple juice. How much more will your heavenly father look after you and take care of you? You have a father that loves you with a fierce and everlasting love. Jesus does not give us the message here. The pathway to peace for Jesus is not some positive, the power of positive thinking or some good vibes or I'm sending some positive thoughts your way. I see people do that all the time. You know, thoughts and prayers and everything like that, that's fine. I'm more on the prayers part, less than the thoughts parts. But I'm sending positive feelings your way, sending positive vibes your way, okay? In the face of fear, I don't need positive vibes. I want Jesus, amen? I want Jesus. That's what I want. I want Jesus more than anything 
else. And Jesus gives us a path to peace. Paul picks right up on where Jesus is, is talking about here in Matthew 6. And Paul picks up on this in the book of Philippians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles open or your Bible apps on your phones, flip over to the ends of your Bible, almost to the very end of Philippians. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, Paul is writing to some of the churches that he's helped start. Philippians chapter 4, as you're turning there, look up on the screen and let's read verse 6 nice and loud together. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul is not holding anything back here. Paul's not saying, oh, and there's an asterisk up there. Do not be anxious about anything except politics. Don't be anxious about anything except your finances. Don't be anxious about anything except your marriage. Anything. Anything. Is that actually Possible. Well, it's at a point like this that it's really helpful for us to remember that is contrary to popular belief, the Bible was not written originally in the King James Version. So sorry for those of you that are King James fans, okay? The Bible was not primarily written in English. The New Testament was primarily written in Greek, in different forms of Greek. And in the Greek, they have different verb tenses. In the English, we have past, present, and future, right? In the Greek, they have different tenses, and one of those tenses is the present active tense, which verse 6 is written in. And so a better translation here, the past present, uh, present and active tense implies an ongoing state. So a better translation of verse 6 here is, do not be caught in a perpetual state of anxiety. Paul is not acting, uh, asking us to live in a bubble, to live in a vacuum and say, well, I'm just never going to worry. Like, he knows that. His life was filled with plenty of worry. We all worry and stress about things. What he's talking about here is do not live in an ongoing state of anxiety. Don't let fear and anxiety get its hooks in you and control you. Jesus is saying is just because you feel afraid doesn't mean you have to be afraid. Just because you have fear doesn't mean that fear has to have you doesn't mean that fear has to define your life and your actions and your decisions and the way that you parent and the way that you operate. And the difference is what controls you. Instead, what does Jesus offer? Look at verse 7 and let's read this together. This is what Jesus offers. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what Jesus offers. And I don't know any of us that wouldn't want that, right? We want the peace of God. I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, I just have this picture of Bruce Wayne in the cave with all the bats, with all the fear flying around him. And he has this peace that surpasses all understanding, meaning it doesn't make sense in the eyes of the world. And the rest of the world is freaking out. I'm not saying we don't take proper precaution, but when the rest of the world is freaking out, they look at Christians and go, what is it with those people? They're grounded. They're rooted in something deeper that surpasses all understanding. I mean, it doesn't make sense in the eyes of the world. And so here in Philippians 4, Paul gives us a roadmap of how to stay calm in a world gone mad. And I want to walk it through with you in this acronym, C-A-L-M, CALM. Everybody say CALM. No, normally I don't like acronyms because I think that they're hokey, but if it's biblical and it helps us remember what we need to remember, then I'm all for acronyms. So that's what this is. C-A-L-M, CALM. Everybody say CALM. So the C of what Paul talks about is the pathway to peace. We're going to get to verse 7 to get that peace. How do we get there? C-A-L-M. The first one is C, is celebrate. Everybody say celebrate. Celebrate God's goodness. Paul says right away in verse 4 in Philippians, chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, if you're like, I need some peace from the constant fear and worry and anxiety in my life, and the very first piece of advice you get is rejoice, be like, come on, Paul, are you serious? Who says something like that? Well, a guy that probably when he was writing those words had a chain and a cuff wrapped around his arm that was attached to the wall so he could barely write, writing this letter to the church of Philippi from a cold, dark, damp jail cell where any one of these days he would hear the footsteps of his executioners coming down the hallway. And in the middle 
of his fear in the middle of Roman tyranny and impression. Paul had plenty of fear that was swirling around him, plenty of bats swirling around him in this cave. Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. Paul is strategically replacing fear with gratitude. His point is, don't meditate on the mess. And when I say meditate, I don't just mean, oh, I'm going to think happy thoughts, okay? Biblically, the word meditate is what you are soaked in, what you are drenched in, what you let consume you. Paul says, don't meditate on the mess. Instead, when you are faced with fear, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Where is your focus? Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills, the psalmist says, for where is my help coming from? Don't fixate at the problem. Fixate your eyes on Jesus. Nobody knows the power of this than our friend Peter, right? You remember the story? Peter and the disciples are out in the boat, and Jesus comes walking to them on the water, right? And Jesus looks at Peter in the boat and says, step out of the boat. And Peter starts walking on the water because where are his eyes? On Jesus, right? This is interactive, by the way. His eyes are on Jesus. And then what happens? Jesus, Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus and stares down at the waves, at the water. And what happens? He starts to sink. Some of you are sinking today because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus and you are fixated on your fear. You are meditating on the mess. You are letting it consume you. Jesus says, look at me. And ultimately, this is the power of worship. This is the power of weekly worship. Every single week when you come walking through those doors, regardless of the weight and the burdens and the fear and the anxiety that you feel, when you fix your eyes on Jesus and you choose to worship, you are knocking holes in the darkness. You are kicking fear to the curb because you are saying to the enemy and you are saying to your fear, you have no place here and my God is bigger than that and he's stronger than that. And you are worthy of my worship God regardless of what's going on in my life. Worship has nothing to do with how you might feel on a given Sunday morning and it has everything to do with who God is. Amen? So we rejoice in the strength of our Father. Makes me think of a story growing up, and I do this now, but I remember this routine that my dad used to do when we, my brother and I were little, and we were just getting ready for bed, and we were getting our pajamas on and getting our ready to lay our heads on the pillow. I could hear my dad downstairs, and he told me he had this nightly routine, and maybe some of you uh, do this. I do this now. I'm turning into my father. It's scary, and you just do these things, and so like he would go, and he would lock the back door, and then he would go, and he would lock the side door, and he'd lock the door that goes out to the garage, and he would look out the window and make sure that the garage door is shut. He would check the motion detector lights, and he would go and, and, and check that the oven was off. Is anybody else weird like this? Okay, I'm the only one. Okay, so he goes, and he would do, and do all that, and then make sure all the lights are off, and then just before my head hit the pillow, I would, see, I would hear him walk up, you know, the old creaky stairs, and then as if he was like the captain of some large ship or vessel, he would walk up and stand in the hallway, just as all three of us were about to go to sleep, and he would declare with a loud voice, everything is locked up. You can go to sleep now. And something about that gave me great comfort. You might say, I rejoiced in my father's strength. And I think that God needs some of you to hear that this morning. God looks at you and says, I am in charge of this house called your life. I am in control of this house, not you. And I have checked the entrances and the exits, I determine who enters and leaves so you can rest. When the rest of the world is freaking out, you can rest. Not being naive, but resting in your father's strength. And so the first thing we do in Calm the Sea is celebrate God's goodness and rejoice in the strength of our father. The second thing we do is we ask God for help. Everybody say ask. We ask God for help. Verse 6, Paul says, let your requests be made known. And he doesn't say, accept a few things and hold them back. Like, get detailed with this, Paul says. This, you know, for those of you with young kids, that's fine. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. But again, there's got to be more than that, okay? Paul says, let your requests be made known to God. I mean, list them out. Get specific. Pray for specific things in your day. There is nothing that you cannot pray for. 
And I've also learned it's not just proact- being, uh, reacting to things in prayer, but being proactive. When's the last time you prayed in advance and asked God for an advanced word in your day? There was a time a few months ago where I was having, I think, my morning devotions on Wednesday morning, and God brought me to this passage about fear. And I'm like, what's that all about? Well, I got to Friday afternoon, and I got an email that just wreaked havoc in my heart and brought about all this fear, and God brought me back and said, remember Wednesday morning? Oh, God was preparing me in advance for that. For you, it's, I've got this really busy week coming up. Oh, the kids are stressing me out. Oh, we've got this going on. I've got this meeting with my boss on Thursday afternoon at 3 o'clock. Whatever it is, God, do you have anything for me? God, do you have have a word of warning or encouragement or challenge to me? You see, here's the thing. Fear triggers either despair or prayer. Fear triggers one of two responses, despair or prayer. And it's cute because it rhymes, and you'll remember that. It triggers despair or fear. When you encounter fear, you have an opportunity. And all of a sudden, fear is not something to be avoided or ashamed of or condemned. Fear becomes an opportunity because when we are fearful, we are scared. We slow down and we're cautious and we pay attention. And then we might listen so that when you encounter fear, the first thing we're called to do as followers of Jesus is say, okay, God, where's that coming from? Is your initial response as a follower of Jesus, ah, Freak out, stress out. What am I going to do? God's not in control. What if your initial response to fear was, okay, God, what's this? And if it's a healthy fear, it's going to draw you closer to the heart of God and push you closer to peace. If it's from the enemy, if it's not from your father, it's going to pull you away from peace and the other fruits of the spirit. You ask, where is it coming from? It starts to dominate your life. It's pulling you away from peace. Then what you do is you rebuke it. 1 John 4 says, perfect love is casts out all fear. It doesn't say God's perfect love allows fear to exist right alongside of it, okay? God's perfect love and fear can't exist side by side. If perfect love casts out all fear, guess what you do with fear? You cast it out, not in your own strength, but in the name of Jesus. You say, in the name of Jesus, enemy, Satan, fear, you have no place in my job. You have no place in my marriage. You have no place in my finances. You have no place in my parenting. You have no place in this church. You have no place in my house. In the name of Jesus, fear, I rebuke you. Not in our own strength because he's given you the authority to do that. And why do we do that? Because fear is a liar. Because fear tells you the narrative that God isn't powerful enough, God isn't loving enough, and God won't provide enough to handle whatever you're facing. Fear is a liar, and so you reject it. And so we celebrate, that's the C, we ask God for help, that's the A, and next the L is we leave our worries with God. Just a show of hands, how many of you have, uh, this is also an interactive part uh, as well, how many of you have uh, ever brought like an appliance into a store to get fixed? Your lawnmower, your car, your cell phone, your computer, any of those things, right? You bring it to a repair shop. So this is how it goes at the repair shop. You bring in whatever gadget or thing that you have and you bring it to the repair shop and you say, hey, expert in this, could you help me with this? Could you fix this? Could you repair this? Okay, that's great. And then what you do is you bring along your camping equipment and your sleeping bag, and then you camp out right there in the, in the vestibule in the lobby of the repair shop, and you tell the repairman, you say, hey, just in case, I, I, I don't fully trust you to fix it, so just in case, I'll be right here worrying alongside of you that it's going to get fixed, and so I'll just check in on you and see how you're doing about every 10 minutes, okay? No! When you take something to the repair shop, you leave it. And yet we do the exact opposite in our relationship with God. Oh, Jesus, I am really stressed out about this. A a friend or a family member is sick. I'm really worried about this coronavirus thing. God, I'm worried about um, all these things. I'm stressed out. I'm just going to leave those right here. But God, I'll just be right over here worrying alongside of you, God, because I don't completely trust that you can handle my prayer requests. I'll just be right over here just kind of, I have met so many Christians that tell me, yeah, I prayed about it, but now I'm worrying just as much since I prayed about it. It's because you took it back. Jesus died for those things. He died for that fear. He died for that shame and that guilt. When you bring it to the repair shop, you leave it with the repairman. Why? Because you are not the ruler of the universe. We are not meant to carry the amount of weight that some of us carry. Okay, I want to invite you to raise your hands one more time just from the get-go. Just trust me and you'll know what you're raising your hand for. Everybody raise your hand wherever you're at. Everybody say, I... 
hereby resign, hereby resign. As, ruler of the universe. as ruler of the universe. Good. Now tell the person next to you, it was never your job to begin with. Tell them that right now. It was never your job to begin with, okay? So when fear and anxiety starts creeping in as something that you've already prayed about, you know what you say to the enemy? Oh, actually, I'm not carrying that anymore. I already left it at the repair shop. I already prayed about that. And I'll bring it back as often as I need to. So we celebrate, we ask, that's the A. We leave it at the cross, that's the L. And finally, we meditate on God's promises. That's the M. Verse 8, Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, and he goes on and on and on, think about these things. Is Paul saying that we should deny the intensity of the fear? Absolutely not. Paul is saying you get to choose what you fill your heart and your mind with daily. You get to choose God's promises or fear. At the beginning of your day, what's the very first thing that you do? Like most of us. We go through our feed, right? We go through our school. FOMO, fear of missing out. Because what if something happened in the last four, four and a half hours that, that I didn't since the last time I was scrolling through my phone when I couldn't sleep in the middle of the night and I was scrolling through my phone, right? Because I don't want to miss out on anything. And here's what I realized a couple months ago, because I used to do this all the time as well. I was letting in the storm of the world before I had had a chance to drop my anchor in God's promises. Every time you turn on the news, every time you, you open yourselves up to the opinions of others and let other people define you, every time you open up yourself to your feed and your scroll, you are opening your up to the barrage of information, the storm that is coming your way. And Jesus says, I can be your anchor in the midst of the storm. And so in the morning, I don't open myself and subject myself to that until I've had a chance to get on my knees and ask God and re remind myself, whatever is coming my way in the next 24 hours, nothing, God, is beyond you. Nothing is bigger than you. No matter what's coming my way, I drop my anchor now, is it good to know the news? Yes. Is it good to stay up to date on what's going on? Absolutely. But I'm not going to hand over the keys to my peace to people and circumstances that I can't understand. After worship today, would you just go up to some random person you don't know and throw them your keys and say, hey, have a great day. But that's what we do every morning. Here, news station, here, Facebook, Instagram feed, I'm going to start comparing myself from the moment I wake up and feel terrible about myself because I don't look like other families and I don't look like other moms and I don't look like other dads and I don't look like other employees. I'm just going to subject, I'm just throwing my keys to the world. I'm throwing my keys to Jesus. I need him more than anything else. So what do these four things have in common? C-A-L-M. They have nothing to do with you. The message of today is not try harder not to worry. It's remember who your father is. We're trusting in his strength that he has a bigger plan and purpose for us. And we've focused so far on that personally for us, but now I want to talk about that for us as a whole church. We have been on a roller coaster ride as an entire community for the last oh, six or seven months now. And from the moment, I have to tell you, from the moment that this new facility that we're moving to on university became a possibility uh, back in July, I have been saying it's totally a God thing. And here's what I mean by that. We didn't do anything to earn it. <laughs> we didn't go looking for it. We didn't do anything to, to set this up. He did it. And I think that God did that on purpose so that we would always remember this is his mission and it's his church and he's inviting us to be a part of it. He's the one in control. So when you are tempted to fear about the future, that we wouldn't because we didn't do anything to earn it in the first place. It's not about us. And I have to say over the last couple months, I want to thank you so much for your prayers and your encouragements and your calls and your letters and your texts and all of that. You're volunteering, your service. There have been dozens and dozens of volunteers, people just like you at the new facility serving almost every single day for the last month and a half. They're serving and getting their hands dirty and helping. And I cannot thank you enough for that as well. And I, I will tell you, we have a long way to go. We're going to be working on this building, I think, for the next 25 years, okay? It's good. Just like your own home, if you own your own home, right, you know it's a constant work in progress, okay? It's never going to be perfectly ready. But if you walked over there later this afternoon, you would look at it and go, John, 
you're crazy. Like, we're not even close to being ready. And you know what? We are a little crazy because we follow Jesus. And that's why this morning I am so excited to announce to you that Hope Des Moines is going to be worshiping at 2500 University for the very first time on April 4th and 5th on Palm Sunday. Praise God for that. John, that's crazy. Yep, it is. It is. When's the last time you did something crazy for God? When's the last time you took a risk, took a leap of faith? And we're going to do that. So here's what we know. So here's some details of what we know, okay? Our focus right now is on level one and the kids area, which is kind of between one and two on a, on a mezzanine. We're going to get that ready for Palm Sunday weekend and then, of course, Holy Week and Easter uh, after that. So that's what we're focusing on right now. We're going to continue to work and renovate deep into April and May to get levels two and three ready. So a lot of our uh, midweek ministries and classes can continue as well. And then this summer, we'll make sure that level four is all ready to go. And that, of course, means that not only Easter, but Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday will be at the new building at 2500 University as well. So we're excited about that. All the same uh, service times for that. I'm excited that this year, instead of trying to pack uh, in everybody into our small worship center here and have 17 services. We're going to have three services this year, and I get to have a voice the week after Easter. I'm really excited uh, about that uh, as well. And so, of course, Easter will be there. There's plenty of room. Invite your friends. Start thinking about who you're going to invite now. We'll have some guides. We'll have some handouts coming to you in the coming weeks about parking and direction and where do I take my kids uh, and all of that. For right now, all the other ministries that we do will continue to remain here until further notice, until we let you know differently, revive and student ministry and men's and women's ministry and support groups and, and Bible studies and all of those things, whiz kids, all of those types of things will continue to be at Ingersoll for now and we'll let you know as those will be transitioning really soon. We don't lose this building until uh, way deep in May, probably even beginning of June as our preschool is going to finish out the year and then that preschool will restart at the new building in the fall, which we are really, really excited about as well. So those are just kind of some of the details uh, of what's going on uh, as well. And then we also want you to let you know, in terms of a weekend schedule, you might notice it looks pretty familiar. Uh, we're excited to continue with those three services uh, as well. The big change that, of course, we announced a couple weeks ago, breakfast for everybody in between the services from 10.15 to 11 every single week. This is not primarily just an outreach thing. It's for all of us, because all of us have a deep need for relationships and community, okay? We have enough food. Come. We have enough space. Come. That's for everybody and a great opportunity. If you normally come to 11, you don't know the other 450 people that go to Hope Des Moines, so you could get to know them at breakfast that go to our other services as well. And of course, Hope Kids and Nursery will continue to be available at all the services as well. I've had a lot of announcements in the last couple months, and so just to kind of bring you up to date on what the building's going to look like, level one will continue to be our uh, Hope Des Moines preschool that'll restart back up in the fall, and levels one through three, uh, Hope Des Moines, and then you've heard a lot about our our emerging partnership with Elam Christian Fellowship, and I announced about a month ago at our last all-church gathering with Elam that probably sometime in mid to late summer, Elam Christian Fellowship and our brothers, and Pastor Hurst, and the whole Elam family will be coming and joining us to stay at 2500 University and joining us as a church. So we're really excited for that as well. We're going to have more all-church gatherings in the next couple months as well, but uh, the congregation's about to get a lot bigger, and I'm really, really excited about that. And then as we announced about a month ago on level four, it sets up perfectly with the gym up there. We're so excited uh, to invite in Joshua Christian Academy, which is a school for underprivileged kids that maybe their families can't afford a great quality private Christian education. And so we're going to welcome in dozens of elementary kids onto floor four as Joshua Christian Academy starts in the fall as well. So we are so excited about that. So needless to say, the building's going to get used. The building's going to get busy. It's going to be awesome. So that's kind of the layout of the building. Now, all that to say, if you're like me, as you're contemplating uh, these changes, um, your heart may be a little torn. And I find myself these days resonating with a book that we've been reading to our kids recently. It has some like nursery rhyme jingles in it. And one of them is Sometimes you feel two feelings at the same time, and that's okay. Sometimes you feel two feelings at the same time, and that's okay. And we teach that to our kids, but we don't believe it as adults. And I will let you know, I'm sad. Um, I don't want to leave. 
in my flesh, in my humanness. And it's not because of the building. Building, I, I'm not going to miss the building. I'm going to miss the memories. Our daughter was baptized on this stage, and now she's almost five. Many of your kids have been baptized. You have been baptized. Close to 400 people have been baptized in this room and come to new life in Jesus. You've been married here. You've met lifelong friends here. Most importantly, your life has been changed here. And so you have every right to feel nostalgic, to feel sad, to be like, I don't want to leave. This, for a lot of you, this is the only church you've ever, this is the only hope you've ever known. But I will remind you of this. This building did not change your life. Jesus changed your life. And the same Jesus that's been here for six years, get this, he's already there. He's already gone ahead of us at university. And so at the same time that I can feel sad and we can feel sad and nostalgic, we can also feel incredibly excited. We have to go. We have to leave. God is calling us. We can't stay here to fulfill the mission that God has given us in this city, not just to be a bunch of people to get together and have a church service once a week, but to be the church and to make a dent in the history of Des Moines, to have a mission center in the middle of Des Moines. We can't stay here. And I am so excited incredibly excited. I ask you to join me in that. Come along. The best part is all these people sitting around you today, tell them, come along, come along. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're coming with, right? Tell them that right now. You're coming with, bring them along. That's the best part. Okay. So what's next? So excited for what's next. Here's what's next. Three weekends here. Our last weekend right here will be March 28th and 29th. So after that, if you come here, you will also be lonely. So join us at the new building. We're going to do some really fun things the next three weekends, and you're not going to want to miss it. I would, I would rearrange your schedule, dare I say, to be here for the last three weekends. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a question and answer uh, session during these weekends that you can uh, fill out uh, questions and get those answered. So first, join us for worship. Don't miss it the next three weekends. Uh, next, join a team. A lot of you signed up for these teams. We want to encourage you. You have been sent an email. If you've signed up for any of the breakfast or hospitality teams, we need you to respond to that. We need you to get into the volunteer system and database, and we would love for you to come to these trainings. You don't know what you're doing because we don't know what we're doing, okay? So we're all going to learn together in that, even if, oh, I've been an usher before. I've been a great, we need you to come. Oh, I've served breakfast before. This is entirely different. It's new for all of us, and so we want to invite you to come uh, to those trainings as well. And then last but not least, Join the project. There's going to continue. We're going to have people there every day until we open, 9 to 4 during the weekdays, and then come to those uh, all-church work days on the 21st and the 28th. There is work for everybody, and our renovations will continue deep into April or May. So that's kind of the lay of the land for the next month or so and how we're going to get there. And I will tell you this. In all of the excitements, speaking of fear, there can be a lot of fear of the unknown with big changes like this, like what's going to happen to my church, right? I catch myself saying that and God's like, not your church, buddy, my church. What's it going to be like, right? Big questions like, where am I going to park? You know, big earth shattering, fearful questions like, are we still going to have donut holes? Yes, yes, we are. Where do I park? Where do I go? Am I still going to connect? All of these things. I want to just remind us of three quick things as we close today. Number one, this is God's church, not ours. And God has called Hope Des Moines to a mission, not a location, not a size, not a style. When it comes to church size, as we grow and as we invite Elam in and you see more people around, and I don't know everybody anymore, when it comes to churches, bigger is not better, smaller is not better, better is better. And when I say better, I mean more effective for the kingdom. Whatever helps get the Jesus thing going, that's what we're going to do. Even if it's not my personal preference or style, this is what God has called us to. Number two, church is not defined by a building. Church is defined by wherever God's people are. And so we're not going to worship a building. And the, the power is not in the bricks and the mortar. The power is in the love that's going to be flowing from your hearts into our new neighborhood. That's where the power comes from. And number three, God's already there. God's already there. We are not bringing Jesus to the Drake neighborhood because Jesus is already there. We are not bringing hope to the Drake neighborhood because hope is already there and his name is Jesus and we're inviting and we're joining God as he invites us to join him in what he's already doing. God has a plan and a purpose that's way bigger than what we could ever imagine. And so whether it's a worldwide health scare, whether it's moving an entire church or whether it's the fears that you hold in your heart today, God is inviting every single one of us 
to stare fear in the face and experience the peace that only he can give, just like Bruce Wayne did. And so back to where we started. At the very end of the Batman movie, Bruce returns to the ruins of his family home. It's been devastated and burned to the ground in a fire. And he returns and he's talking with Alfred, his mentor, and his girlfriend. But he's a completely different man. The reason he's different is because he remembers who he is, the son of a father. Let's take a look. So just like the old wise man, Alfred, God looks at you today in the eyes and said, Let, says, let's build a new foundation for your life. Not like the old ways that you used to respond. Let's build a new foundation that where your default reaction to the world around you is not fear. It doesn't negate, it doesn't toss away the reality of the world that we live in, but it embraces faith and experiences the peace in God right in the middle of that. The reason that Bruce was able to stand as the bats, as the fear were flying all around him was because he remembered who he was. It was that short little three-second cutaway as he looked in the eyes of his father. That's the defining moment in the Batman trilogy, all three movies. Are you going to operate out of who you really are, sons and daughters of the father? Our fear doesn't stand a chance when we stand in God's love. And so let the crazy mixed up world that we live in full, saturated with fear, not drive you farther away from God, but closer to him. And see this as an opportunity to discover the power of the one who is not just bigger and stronger than a cave full of bats, the one who is bigger and stronger than my death and my sin and your death and your sin, and his name is Jesus. What do you need to let go of today? What fear and worry that has constantly ailed you do you need to let go of and bring to the repair shop and leave it there for good because he died for it? Not to be ashamed of it, not to condemn yourself, but to leave it there for good. Our fear doesn't stand a chance when we stand in the love, when we root ourselves in the truth of who we are in God's love. Our fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in God's love. Amen? Let's stand. Let's sing it. Let's worship God together.